Welcome to The Bridge Online. No matter where you're worshiping from, we are so glad to have you with us. This week, Pastor Doug has another message for us. So grab your Bibles and let's dive in. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. <clears throat> 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to continue in the practical Christian living uh, series that we started a few weeks ago. And today, the, the topic within that category or within that theme of practical Christian living is repentance. And so this morning we're going to be talking about repentance and hopefully identifying what true biblical repentance is. Uh, I don't want to be cliche because you're hearing it. I know the circles that I listen to or pastors I listen to will, are, are doing it. But unfortunately it appears that the topic of repentance is not discussed that often. Um, in the church, and it's, it's, a, it's a vital topic. It's a vital truth. It's something that is very much a part of your practical Christian experience. It's not a one-time experience, okay? And I hope that you'll get to see that and recognize that as we go through the, through the scriptures this morning. Um, repentance is required for salvation. We don't often say that. Like, we don't even often teach that. We just kind of Say if you'll repeat a prayer and then that's, that's good enough. But repentance and salvation, they're hand in hand, okay? And so you're going you're gonna to see some of that this morning. But I want to start with a story that many of you may have heard, but, but some maybe not. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, and just, it's a story and it's going gonna, it's gonna to lay the foundation for our teaching this morning. And it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him. And all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a, a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about this woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity, and he re she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and so she sent <clears throat> and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing. And how the war, or how the war was prospering. And so, you probably have heard this story um, before if you haven't. David, of course, is the king of Israel. He's described in the scripture as a man after God's own heart. A large portion of the Psalms that you read are written and inspired by the Holy Spirit through David. He clearly had a heart that loved God, that was sincere. He was a sincere and an honest man. There's no question. Um, and yet, we pick up this story here, and what a tragic portion of David's life it is. And in fact, if you continue to read, and if you want to just skip for time's sake to the 15th verse, he ends up, basically what he does is, he, he has this affair, of course, with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, but then he brings Uriah back, and his first scheme is to try to get Uriah to lay with his wife, of course. And that would cover the evidence that he's the one that has caused her to be pregnant. And that doesn't work because he's a noble man. And he refuses. He, just, he simply refuses to go into his own home. 
because his men are at war. And so he literally lays outside the door. And David recognizes that 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 first scheme didn't work. And so he comes up with something else in the 15th verse. It says, he wrote a letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that that he may be struck down and die. And so it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew that there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people and the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died. So, so not only now has he committed adultery, has he devised a scheme to try to cover it up, now he's went so far as to oversee a murder. And notice in what we read, and it's not often addressed, but not only did Uriah die, but other men died in that plot as well. And, and, and what, a, what a tragic story, right? This is a man that the scripture has referred to as a man after God's own heart. And again, I want to make sure you understand, David, David I believe David loved God. I, I believe he genuinely wanted to please him. It's very, very clear in his, or it's very, very evident in his early years. David would, would play his harp. He would sing unto the Lord. He would be inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the presence of God would come. And I, David loved the presence of God. He was unique for his time because in the Old Testament, the idea of being in the presence of God was was something that was set apart for, for priests and the high priest. And yet David knew that he could, he could enjoy the very presence of God. And of course, by the time we read this in 2 Samuel, David has been blessed by God, right? He's, we know his journey. Um, he's the king of Israel now. He's brought the two kingdoms together. Both Israel and Judah are now united. Uh, Israel is prospering. He's going to go down in history as the greatest king that Israel has ever had apart from Christ, of course, but he's the greatest natural man, uh, king that, that the nation has ever known. And then he does this. It's quite terrible, isn't it? It's, he sins terribly. And we don't have to read it, but you can, you can read it later. The next stage, the scene that happens is Nathan the prophet comes into him and he begins to tell him a story. And he's setting him up because God has sent the prophet. And he, he basically... The, the prophet of God comes and he exposes his sin. And he, and, and he says, David, you've done this. You're the one. You're, in fact, he says, you're the man, David. You're, you did this. And so now I want you to turn. That's just setting the stage. I want you to turn to Psalm 51. Because Psalm 51 was penned by David after his sin. And in my opinion, it's among some of the greatest uh, writing in all of the Bible, in all of human history, I suppose, it's, it's, there's, it's phenomenal. It's no question, no doubt that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it is David's response to the sin that he's committed. And it serves for us this morning, it'll serve as kind of the foundation point, if you will, for what true biblical repentance looks like. And when we get ready to read this this morning, I don't, I don't want this to just be a teaching and you walk out with a bunch of, you know, fresh and new knowledge maybe about what repentance is. I want you to consider this morning if maybe there's some things that you might need to repent of. Right? Otherwise, what, what good is it if we just walk out with some more knowledge and it's not applicable? It doesn't, it doesn't pertain to our everyday living. There's maybe this morning, today's finally the day that God can get through to your heart and to bring you to a place where 
you finally choose to repent and turn away from sin that you're currently living in. Psalm 51, David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a, a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not deny. I want you to notice the very first thing that David says in this, this act of repentance. He says, have mercy. You see, he understands that there is no reason in the natural why God should forgive him. Just as there was no reason in the natural why God should have forgiven you and I from the very beginning, much less after we've known God and then sinned. The only reason God forgives us is because he is merciful. That's who God is. And so David somehow understands that. He, he knows that even though he's caught, even though he is guilty, he knows that the God that he serves is merciful. And so he appeals to his mercy. Folks, repentance is only possible because of the mercy of God. And you have to understand that this morning. In fact, Micah chapter 7 verse 18 tells us that not only is God merciful, but that God actually delights in mercy. I want you to consider that this morning. Very few things in the scripture. There are a few, but there are very few things that the scripture gives us insight to what God delights in. And one of those is God delights in mercy. That means, that means he delights in showing mercy. When you fail, when you sin, when you fall short and you come back to God and you have a sincere heart and you have a sincere desire to deal with it, God delights in that situation. I want you to understand that for a moment because I know maybe for some of you, you have listened for too long to the lies of the enemy, the condemnation of hell, the lies even of your own heart that tells you you're no good. You're a failure. You, you messed up. How could I have done this? You know, all the things that we hear when we, 
fall short and when we sin against God. You know, the devil is always there when we fall short. He's not always the cause of it. I'm not suggesting that. But he'll always be there when we fall short. He'll always be there after sin because he's a condemning voice. He wants to tell you you're no good. He wants to tell you that God's not pleased with you. He wants to tell you that there's no second chance. He wants to tell you that this is it. It's finally over. You finally went too far. But you have to understand what David knew, and that is God delights in showing mercy. If you don't understand that this morning, then, folks, repentance becomes a drudge. It becomes very difficult. In, in fact, I would say in many ways it becomes almost impossible. If, if you see God as just wanting to punish you, and that's all, he's just, he's just waiting to, to pounce. You know, you made a mistake, you sinned, you fell short, and you know it. It's, there's no argument about that, but in your eyes, God is just this judge over the earth. He's judge over your life, and now he's just waiting. The only thing left is the sent sentencing phase, if you will. And if that's how you see God, you're never going to fully understand biblical repentance. David has sinned greatly, folks. I mean, think of, the, think of the sin, the sins that just continue to pile up. Adultery, scheming, lying, planning a murder, overseeing a murder, multiple murders. But he knew the mercy of God. David does not appeal to God for forgiveness based on his own merit. And you and I cannot do that either. We have no merit. You, you, can't, you can't come to God asking for forgiveness based on something within your own heart. You can't come to God saying, well, I'm not going to do it again. I, I, I did it, but I'm not. I'll never do it again. Oh, how many promises we've made to God. How many times we've come to God, oh, this is the final time. I won't do it again. You're, you're, just, you're asking for forgiveness based on your own merit. What you're saying to God is, I did it and I was wrong, but trust me, I'm never going to do it again. My merit. Are you with me? And I don't want to, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I know there's a plenty of people in this room that have done that. And then you fell short once again. It's, it's based on your own merit and there's nothing there. There's no strength there. There's no power. You have no strength. You're dead in your sins. You're dead against sin. You have no power or authority against it. And David understood this. And so the first act, the first understanding, if you're writing notes, the first thing about biblical repentance is you have to appeal to the mercy of God. You cannot appeal to God based on your own merit. I love the fact that David doesn't cast blame on others. He owns it, doesn't he? He comes to the place and he recognizes this is on me. He, he's the king. And people in authority tend to cast blame. I mean, my goodness, we're seeing that on a wholesale level, right? Leader, leaders, like this is a kind of the common theme of leadership today. You know, it's, it's someone else's fault. Uh, something, someone else didn't do what they were supposed to do. I did mine, but no, it's someone else. And, and unfortunately, because that's among our leadership, that tends to permeate down into culture. And when parents are that way, children end up being that way. By the way, if your children are excuse makers, most likely they learned it from you. I get the privilege of mentoring kids and mentoring kids and walking as a chaplain with a football team. A lot of excuses out there, folks. A lot of excuses. And it's really not their fault, I don't think. I think it's what they've heard a lot of in their life. Amen? 
And David doesn't do that. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't point fingers. He doesn't cast blame. He owns it. He's, he's honest. He's sincere. He says, for I acknowledge my transgressions. I've done this. And if you want to say that's step two, then I, I suppose maybe that's step two is coming to the place where you're not, you're not going to sit and cast blame anymore. You're going to point fingers. You know, if you're a man that struggles with lust, for example, and you all look at every time I watch this or every time I look at that or this is all over, it's so easy to click on that. We understand that. It is more difficult now. But quit making excuses. Jesus said, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. What's he saying? He's saying, do whatever you have to do to address the sin issue and get it out of your life. Do you understand that? Don't make an excuse. Don't, don't, don't play again. Oh, I was treated this way as a child. This is in my past. My dad was this way. My grandfather was this way. It may be true, but through Christ, all things are new. Through Jesus Christ, you have a new authority, a new power. You've been given resurrection power. You've been, a new door, a new way of life has been opened to you. You have been, according to the Bible, born again. You understand? And so we can't make excuses. There has to be an owning of what we have done. He has a desire in his heart to be clean. And that's what struck me throughout this week. He doesn't just want to be forgiven, folks. I hope you see that in this 51st Psalm. He's not just looking for, for a covering, so to speak, or to just be forgiven. Listen to what he says. He says, wash me thoroughly. And in other words, he's saying to God, give me a deep clean. Have, have you ever, you know, I, some of the ladies, maybe you do a deep cleaning of your home, right? Where you just, it's like you turn everything over and you start, you clean everything. Um, we used to tell our kids when they were young, you know, they'd go in the shower and it would be like 30 seconds. And I'm going, there's no way you cleaned everything. This is not possible. Oh, yeah, I could. I did it. I said, and, you know, I'd go through the, well, did you clean this? And, 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 and they would, yeah, oh, yeah, I did that. It's not possible. And sometimes you just, David says, no, I don't want just a, just a quick shower as it is. I want a deep cleansing inside of my soul. He's saying out, he's crying out to God, God, come and do a deep cleanse within my heart. Purge me. Think of that. Think of that verbiage. Purge me. There's some in the, in the Middle East and culture during the time of this writing, and really for many, many centuries, they, of course, they didn't have washing machines and things that we have now that they use. And the women would take the clothes down to a source of water, and they would use lye. It was just a harsh grinding soap and maybe some of you remember the older days with a wash what are, what were those called washboard right and they just it was a purging some of the kids how many how many in this room right now can be honest I don't want to get off two track hey you have no idea what a washboard is just be honest right now and raise your hand I have no idea I don't know what a washboard is raise your hand come on I do not know what a washboard is there are far more of you than that thank you thank you for honesty never seen a washboard and they would they would clean those that clothes and I think that that's the image that David has right in his mind and in his heart as he's as he's calling out to God and and he says I don't I don't just want you to dip it into the water I want you to I want you to purge me folks these are not simply words of guilt would you agree David is saying go beyond the outward sin God 
and cleanse my heart. There's something wrong. There, there, Lord, reveal that which is hidden. Folks, I'm telling you this morning, this it may be as important teaching as you've heard in a while. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there have to be seasons in your life where you go before God and just say, purge me, cleanse me, look inside, reveal anything that's hidden. Folks, we, we, we are in a fallen world all around us. And we engage in things, we're a part of things, which is, and without even intentionally being, it's just, there's things that begin to attach to our hearts. And, and it's important that we go to God and just say, God, reveal anything that's hidden, anything that's not like you. Lord, come and expose any type of darkness that may be within me. Folks, Dave, there was something in David's heart. He didn't just go up to the top of the roof and all of a sudden, oh boy, there's a nice looking lady. Bam, hey, let's do this. You understand that, right? And the scripture doesn't give us insight, but I think this does. I think David's repentance gives us insight to that. Why doesn't David just say, man, I, I totally messed up. I, I looked over the balcony and it was so appealing to me and it was so tempting. And it was just a, it was a, and this is what we say, it was a moment of weakness and I just gave in. He doesn't say that. He's like, there is something in me that you have to fix. There, there is, I, you, I didn't just slip into, there's, Lord, clearly there's something in my heart that I desire for you to come and take care of. And, and folks, we have, we have, I guess, maybe because we, we're so afraid of shaming folks, maybe, I don't know why, but we've neglected to teach this. Like, sin doesn't happen overnight. The, the New Testament teaches, you read in the book of John, Listen, there's a, there's, a, it, there's a process, right? There's a, there is a temptation, but then there's a pondering. There, there's allowing it to continue in your mind. There's a, there's a not dealing with it at, at the first stage and, and, and thinking it's innocent, you know, because, look, there's sinful things all around us. Uh, years ago, a great sermon I heard was, uh, you probably all heard it, about protecting your eye gate and your ear gate. Right, they're gateways, and, and things enter in. And just because you see, for example, a, a, a wrong image, and that in itself is not sinful, like it's almost impossible. You hear something wrong. It's not sin in and of itself. Where does sin begin to develop? It de begins to develop in the mind. You begin to ponder on it. You begin to think about it. You don't address it. You don't deal with it. But here's the problem with that. It goes from the mind, and it seeps down like a poison into the heart. And, and now we're weeks down the road or we're months down the road and you've de you didn't deal with it and you didn't address it and you think it's just fine because it's not in, your, not in the forefront anymore, but it's already there. It's in the heart. It's lodged deep in there and you've moved on, but God hasn't. And now before you know it, somewhere in the future, that thing exposes itself, it comes out. Folks, this is reality. This is, this is biblical preaching. This is, David understood this. And that's why he says, I need you to go beyond the outward. Lord, I want to get this right. I believe that's what David's saying. And I believe that is imperative for true repentance. I want to get this right. I don't just want to be forgiven this morning, but I want to get this right today. I don't want to keep doing. I think David is saying, I don't want to be on the roof. I don't want to be in a place and see someone again. And if I do, I want to be strong against that temptation the next time. I don't want to fall again. I don't want to be weak against this. I want this to change inside of me. Folks, you have to understand that that is possible through God.
That is possible through God. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Verse 10, in the midst of appealing for this cleansing and this mercy of God to come and to cleanse him, he says something quite profound. He says, create, create a new heart in me. I want you to notice that word create. It's, it's really quite unique. Why didn't he say, cleanse my current heart? He's asking, now we're, you know, we're talking about hyperbole here. We're talking, he, he says, I want you to give me a new heart. I want you to create something new. In other words, take this one out. This one made, this is messed up. So take this one out and put a new one in. And, and that's very important because he's saying, I want a new heart that has new desires. I want a new heart that has new affection. I'm assuming, and this is a stretch, this is my opinion, but I'm assuming David had a lust problem. And so dealing with the lust problem, he's not just going like, God, I have a lust problem. Forgive me, I, I struggled all week with lust, so forgive me today. And then you do that on Sunday, and then you go through the week, and you struggle with lust again, and then you come back next week, and you ask God to forgive you again, and then you struggle with lust all week, and then you come back again. That's not what David was after, and that's not what true biblical repentance is. True biblical repentance is this has got to get fixed today. This has got to be taken care of. And the only way I see that you can take care of it, God, is if you, if you give me a new heart. Give me new desires. Give me new affection. Give me new motives. God, give me a heart that's fettered to you alone. Where you are my number one affection. Where your will is at the forefront of my eyes. Where your desire is the, the greatest desire of my heart. Where your will is the greatest desire of my heart. And then he says something. He says, Lord renew or strengthen that which was once there this is what he says in verse 10 renew a steadfast spirit man i was this week that was probably the most the thing that stood out the most was a steadfast spirit so he says i want a new heart i want you to create something new give me new desires give me new motives but lord restore in david's case it was restore for some of you may have never had it but restore what he calls a steadfast spirit. When you think of the word steadfast, what do you think? The word steadfast means unwavering, right? Unrelenting, unwavering, strong in the face of temptation. You see why I'm, why I'm teaching it the way it means? David, I'm, you're, you're, you can see it right in the scripture. He's saying, I sinned, but I don't want to do it again. And I know me. And I know my weakness, and I'm not appealing to you with my, with my niceties, and I'll, I'll do this, and my promises, and oh, I'm going to be better, and I'm going to be stronger, and I'm, no, I know who I am. This is what I feel like David's saying. I know my weakness, and I know my frailty, and so God, I appeal not just to your mercy, not just for grace, not just for cleansing, but now I need you to come and put something new inside of me. I need you to strengthen me. I need, I need an unwavering resolve. I need to be strong now in the face of temptation. I think David understood what Jesus would later teach in Matthew chapter 12, if they'll put it on the screen. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 and verse 45. I'm going to read it off the screen, so if we can put it up. We'll go 43, 44, 45. Listen to what Jesus teaches. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man... He goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, this is the unclean spirit, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, 
and put in order. Next verse. Then he goes, unclean spirit, and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be also with this wicked generation. That's a strange teaching, isn't it? Do you know what Jesus is teaching? He's saying when a man sins and that corruption and that vileness and that evilness that's within, when, when that's dealt with, yes, the blood of Jesus washes it away. The forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, the cleansing of God comes and does it away. But he says it's not over then. Because in this situation, he says in, in this story, it's the, the person that got rid of the evil spirit they just cleaned the house and the house looked really good. But they didn't backfill. And what happened was when that evil spirit left, there was a void. There was a vacuum. And Jesus is teaching that you don't just ask for forgiveness. You don't just ask for cleansing. You, you don't just ask for that thing to be washed away. There's another step in repentance. And folks, you have to get that. And so they, I think David knew that. He knew that there had to be a void. There was a void. I think he knew right away. Listen to me. Here's what you need to understand. If you're sincere, I believe that God will forgive you before you even say the words as soon as you start to turn to God. I think he's that quick. He's that merciful. He's that forgiving of a God. He'll forgive you. As soon as he sees that you're sincere and you start to turn to him, he'll forgive you. You don't have to cry and plead and beg and whine and earn his forgiveness. He'll, he wants to forgive you. Are you with me? But, but David knew, but now I've got to work on the inward part. Lord, you have to come and work on the inward part so this doesn't happen again. There, you have to come now and begin to fill the, the void. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is the key to the sermon. There are two aspects to biblical repentance. There are two parts. Many teach, I have taught before wrongly, that repentance means this. It means I'm going in one direction, and I stop doing that. I stop going in that direction, and I turn around, and I go a different direction. And we leave it at that. I'm going to tell you that that is not biblical repentance. I'm changing my stance today. That is not, that is, that is a part, that is a part of a two-part equation. You see, true biblical repentance is turning away from your sin. Absolutely. You have to turn away from your sin. You cannot continue to sin and truly repent. But the second thing you have to do is you have to turn to Jesus. You got to get this this morning. So you got to, you turn from sin, but when you turn, you have to turn directly to Jesus. You have to go straight to Jesus. They cannot be separated. And see, this is the part that, that David could only take us so far in the Old Testament. And as, and as strong as David was and what a great figure he was. and what, Listen, there's one, one greater than David came and his name is Jesus Christ. He is our advocate. He is our savior. He is our mediator. He is the one that stands before us. And listen to me, he is the only way that you can overcome sin. 
He's the only way. And so the Bible says he's the propitiation uh, for our sin. So you turn from sin, but you have to immediately run into the arms of Jesus. Somebody say amen. That, that is the only way you will have successful biblical repentance. When only turning away from sin is the priority, it is going to lead to disappointment. It's going to lead to shame. It's going to lead to guilt. And ultimately, it's going to open the door for condemnation. Do you understand? If all you're doing is asking for forgiveness, if all you're doing is making a decision to turn away from sin, and you don't make some changes, you see, that's, that's what's interesting. And, and we teach it, and I understand why. I'm not, I'm not trying to be hyperly critical here, but we teach that, hey, man, you've got to change some things in your life. And I'm not, that's true. I'm not suggesting that. But... but the only way you can really effectively change things in your life is with the help of Christ. Right? And that's, that's how we are designed. Ultimately, like we see in the scripture, that sin, if, if all you're doing, it's just, you know, it's the only priority is turning away from sin. Ultimately, that sin is going to return because you have no defense against it. There's nothing, there, what, what makes you think, because you feel sorry today? Because you feel remorseful because something pricked your heart in a church service? That's why, you know, folks, I, I've been in church services and part of leading church for years and years and years. And we get all this tradition stuff, like, and they get on me, you should do this, and you should do that, and you should do, you should do. I'm like, what, do you, what, do you, what Bible do you read? Like, I get it, yeah, we, the Spirit of God came, the waters were stirred, we got excited. Jehovah, Jireh, Jireh, all this, we're doing this. We're excited, and we should be. That's praise to God. And it stirs your emotions, okay? And I praise God for emotions being stirred. You know that better than anybody. I love to have emotions stirred. But don't get the job done. It doesn't get the job done. And so, so we, you get, we, oh, and we, they feel so remorse. And a lot of times that's what our preaching does and shame and come to the altar and repent and ask God for forgiveness. And we get them there and that's it. And oh, great. And praise the Lord. Look at the altars are full. And then we're done and we call it a success. But if we didn't get them to turn to Jesus, it's of no value. It's of no value because they have no defense, right? They have, there's no defense against the sin that is absolutely going to return. Jesus teaches it. He's like, that spirit, I love, I mean, it's it kind of confusing, like, man, Jesus is getting really spiritual, demons and all of this. But there's just a core lesson here. There's others, but you just let me, tell, don't tell me this doesn't apply. It, it's talking about this demon. And he's like inside of me, and I run him out. And then the demon goes out. It's almost like, you know, you ever saw this commercial, he's walking on the streets, and he's like, I don't have anywhere to go. I know, I'll try to go back and see if I can get back into my old house. And he goes back, and the house is wide open. You get it? There's no defense. And so biblical repentance, there has to be a defense. I love, I love, what, I love what Timothy Keller said, if they'll put the quote up. He said, fear-based or law-based repentance makes us just hate ourselves. Joy-based repentance, or what we're going to call gospel-based repentance, makes us hate sin. And the only way you and I can truly hate sin is to be close to Jesus. You understand? 
You, you, you can't come today and be like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to muster it up. I'm going I'm to start today really hating sin. No, you're not. You still have your flesh. It's still there. It's who we are. We're drawn to these things. But in the power and presence of Christ, we come to the one who has the power to break sin. We're, and we're close to the one who has the power to break sin, who has the authority over sin, who empowers us to break sin. Are you with me? And so it's turning away and it's turning to. When you or I sin, you absolutely should feel convicted. I'm not suggesting you shouldn't. There should be shame in your heart. If you're a professing Christian, even if you're not, there should be a shame in your heart knowing that you're sinning against a holy and a righteous God. There should be something that hurts when you sin. Your, Your heart should be pierced you should be upset. You should be unsettled. Years ago, there's a guy that used to go to our church, and he would call it sin sickness. You, if you're a Christian, if you're a professing Christian, and you're living in sin, I pray that you'll have sin sickness. It's worse than COVID. It's worse than the stomach virus. It's worse than the flu. It's an inner knowing that I'm, I've sinned against God. I can't stay this way. I got to get, something has to be, something has to change. Something has to be healed within me. And so I'm not suggesting this morning that you shouldn't feel that way. But here's the reality. You don't have to stay sin sick. Get to Jesus and he will heal you of your sin sickness. He will strengthen you. He will encourage you. He will build you up. He will empower you. He will give you self-discipline that you don't possess. You understand that that's a fruit of the Spirit. It's called temperance. He'll give you temperance. I didn't give them this verse of Scripture, but really quick, turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. You see, that's the heart of God. That is the desire of God, that you and I live above sin. That is our objective each and every day but then he says and if anyone sins why would he say that isn't that crazy well because he's a realist he's practical he knows the situation in other words he's just setting he's just setting the the priorities of our life as a christian don't try to sin do everything within your own ability to try not to sin right don't just succumb and make excuses. Oh, I'm just a fallen vessel. Oh, everybody sins. That's the way it is. You hear that all the time. Don't. Why? That's like starting a, a match or a fight or some kind of competitive thing. Be like, I know I'm going to lose. Well, then why are you here? Why don't you go home? You're weak. That's what you think, too. You just don't say it. You, no. If, if you go into some kind of competitive arena and you're just like i know i'm gonna lose don't you want to just say well go home you're wasting my time you're wasting everything it's gonna be fun i don't even want to watch this why do christians go around oh, i know i'm gonna sin that's just who i am we're all sinners according to the bible we're made new in christ we're new creations what about all that talk born again new creation Different spirit, Holy Spirit living in us who wasn't living in us before we were saved. Does that factor into the equation? Absolutely it does. So he says that. He says, listen, I write these things that you may not sin. But he's a realist, okay? 
I get it. We do sin. There's, there's times when sin happens in our lives. Not suggesting that it doesn't, nor does the scripture. And if anyone sins, this is what he says. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Oh, that should excite you this morning. And so that means, that means when you do sin, there's someone you can go to. There's someone you can run to, and that's who you have to run to. You know, when you get into legal trouble, we have been conditioned, the first thing we do is run to a lawyer, right? That's, that's, that's the imagery here, is that he's our lawyer, he's our defender, he's our advocate, he's the one standing on our behalf, our intermediary between us and the Father. And we, and we run to him because he's our only hope. He's the only help we have, right? And, but he's more than enough. And so he says, turn away from your sin and run to the advocate. Really quick as we get ready to close. What is happening when I repent? Well, here's what's happening. You are choosing to turn away from something that God speaks to. And he calls it sin. And you're choosing to turn away from that. And yes, you're choosing, you're choosing to run to Jesus. But you're choosing to agree with God. In other words, it's something that God has declared to be sinful. And you're saying, yes, I agree. I know, Lord, your will is right. And you're the, you're the authority and you're the one in control. Because at the end, it's where it all started. It started in the garden, right? It's where sin was hatched. And it was this idea when Satan comes to Eve and he says, did God really say this? That's always what it is for every one of us. When you and I sin, there's always just this little thing of like, I can just have a little bit of this. It's, it's, is it really that big of a deal? We're on week two. More than that, week, like how many days? 14 days today. And we, we haven't died but we almost did on Tuesday, but we got through it. Whole 30. And, and so you're not supposed to eat the, all this stuff, really. You just eat meat and vegetables and fruit, I guess, and that's it. And so by now, you're just scavenging. I'm just looking for anything and asking, can I eat that, can I eat that? And when Charlotte's gone, <laughs> I'm, surely this can't be that bad. This, look how innocent this is. All week, this, I had someone yesterday, I was with someone, they had a donut, and they gave, they tried to hand me a donut, and I, it looks so innocent. How could this be wrong? No, the, the book's over, it's, they're crazy. They're, they're fanatics over there. That book, they're just fanatic. Listen to me, as, as funny as it sounds, that's what happened in the garden with Eve, but on a much higher authoritative level, right? God's more authoritative than whole 30. And so, and so the enemy comes and says, did God really mean, you think he really meant? Guys, you, you have dominion over the whole garden. Like, come on. One tree, like, is it that big of a deal? This piece of fruit, come on. He's giving you dominion over everything. You can't touch this. And she agrees with who? Satan and disagrees with God. That's what sin is, folks. You understand that? That's what sin is. And so repentance is doing the opposite of saying, no, 
I'm, I'm not agreeing with my flesh. I'm not agreeing with the world. I'm not agreeing with the devil. I'm turning from that, and I'm choosing to agree with God. And if God said it, then I agree with it, and that's the way I'm going to live. I'm not going to let my own feelings, my own ideas, my own drawing, my own flesh dictate how I live. I'm going to turn away from that, and I'm going to turn to God and to his word. And Jesus has authority over all strongholds, over all power, over anything that tries to pull us or resist us or bring us back. And so in this way, as we're getting ready to close, in this way, biblical repentance is a lifestyle. Because the reality is this morning, we're all called to constantly choose to agree with God. Right? There's always situations that arise in our life where you have to choose. Am I going to agree with what's in front of me that seems so innocent? It doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. Or am I going to, am I going to agree with God? And when you choose to agree with God, you are practicing repentance. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. This was the sermon that was preached. By the way, I didn't get into it, but we could have. The, the first sermon Jesus preaches, do you know what it is? Repentance. Before that, the first, the first sermon that was preached by John the Baptist, you know what it was? Repentance. The first message preached after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, guess what it was? Repentance. And yet, in the modern, many in the modern church, we don't pre- repentance isn't even preached. It's the first three major sermons of all Christendom. Jesus' first words out of his mouth, repent. John the Baptist, first words, repent. Peter's first words are repent. It's the sermon. Acts 3, 19. I didn't turn there. Is it on the screen? Thank you. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Listen to this. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. When, we, when, when you and I choose to repent biblically, we can expect times of refreshing from the Lord. In other words, when, when you and I harbor sin, there's a break of, of fellowship. Doesn't, it doesn't, don't, I'm not, there's a break of fellowship, however you, want to choose, however you want to explain it. And God, in essence, says, until you deal with this sin that you're open, that you know is there and that you are simply refusing to deal with, our fellowship goes no further. This is as far as our fellowship goes. Talking about our relationship, how it is, how we move forward. And until you address it, there can be no fellowship. There can be no refreshing for you. And so Peter is saying to the patriarchs at the, in this place, and he says, look, if you'll repent, even though he knows they're not going to because they're stiff-necked and hard-hearted, but he's still telling them, if you'll repent and you'll turn away and you'll turn to Jesus, you can have a time of refreshing. In other words, you can have revival. It's really what he's saying. You can have a revival in your spirit. You can have a revival in your soul. You can have a revival in your church. You can have a revival in your community. That's why many believe that the key to true biblical revival, true heaven-born revival, are a people who are willing to repent. A people who will repent. Quit being stiff-necked. Quit being full of pride. Quit being hard-hearted. Quit worshiping idols. Turn away from those things. And if you do, you can expect a revival in your soul. You can expect a revival in your church. You can expect the presence of Christ to be real and known. You can expect the guiding presence of Holy Spirit. You can expect to hear his voice again in a way maybe you never have. 
where there's a clarity and you can hear the refreshing voice of the Holy Spirit, where, where you hear the inner voice of God speaking to your heart in the morning, declaring, I am proud of you, I'm with you, I am for you. God cannot say that if you're living in sin. He would be a liar and a fraud. But when you repent, as David did, and you're sincere, thanks be to God. How many have experienced times of refreshing come from the Lord? Come on, put your hands together. Let's come and sing. And that's the goal this morning. That's what God wants for you. He wants to be able to come with you and, and, and refresh you and speak into your heart. David knew this in some way. I, only under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, make me to know joy again. See, his joy was lost because of his sin. That sweet fellowship that he knew in his early years, right, with that innocent heart is gone. And he said, oh God, I want that back. I, I want to know joy again. I want to know gladness. He says, restore the joy of my salvation. Folks, when you and I sin and, and we do not repent biblically, we lose our joy. We lose our gladness. We're dry. We're dead. We're, we're, we're anchored as it is to that sin and we're not moving forward. But oh, when we're willing to let go of it, when we're willing to turn to Jesus, when we're willing to draw nigh to Christ, he says, this is what he says, I'll draw nigh to you and I'll refresh you. Not only, not only does he forgive us, not only does he cleanse us and purge us and begin to put a steadfast spirit within us, but then he says, I'll pour out revival into your soul. Amen? Come on, let's stand all over the building. David goes on, and we read it. You can go back and look at it again in Psalm 51. And he shifts. So it's, you're merciful. I acknowledge my sin. You have to purge me because you're the only one that can. But you have to change me inwardly, go deep. But then he shifts, and he does something else that's very unique, very cool. And he says, then I will begin to teach transgressors your way. And your praise will be on my lips. In other words, he says, now I can be used for the very purpose of why you have me on the earth. I can be used for God. See, unrepentant sin keeps you from your calling, keeps you from your destiny, keeps you from your purpose. And David's like, I don't want that. I want to live for you. I, I, I want to be able to speak for you. I, I don't know this morning. I don't know about you. I... I know people do it and they use it as an excuse, but I don't want to give anyone an excuse to say, I know that guy. He preaches one thing, but he lives a whole different way. I know those, though. They go to church, but I know how they live outside of church. Nah. They're a hypocrite. Now, sometimes people just do that, and I understand that, but sometimes we give them plenty of reason to say what they say because we don't deal with, we don't repent. And we hurt our witness and we hurt the testimony of Christ. I want to ask you to bow your head. Close your eyes. If you're in the room and you've never repented of your sins,
I'm talking now to the person that's in this room. You've never been born again. Never. You've never, you've never prayed and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You've never repented. Not one time. You're, you're, you came in and you knew you're not right with God. But this morning, based on what God has done, you feel compelled. I want to today. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I'm ready. I'm ready to turn from sin and turn to Jesus. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now and today's going to be your day. If you say today, I want to give my life fully to Jesus Christ. Throughout the building, on the ba- in the balcony, anyone. Don't leave this room. Don't leave this service apart from God. Don't leave today away from Christ. If that's you, we're going to pray with you. We're going to lead you in a prayer. We're going we're gonna to show you, walk with you, help you to get to Jesus. That's our goal. Anyone, real quick before we move on, you just say, man, that's, I need Jesus today. I, I've never given my life to Christ, but I want to. Put a hand in the back. All eyes are closed and heads are bowed. For that one hand that's here, this whole service was for you. God brought you here for just a time as this. This morning, if you don't know how, just give you some guidance. It's as easy as ABC. A, you admit you're a sinner. You heard it. You heard it. You admit you're a sinner, just like David. I sin. Not just sin. I've sinned. I sin. My life, I'm full of sin. I need, I need a, I got a sickness. I got a sin problem. And B, you believe that Jesus Christ is the only the only solution to that problem. Only Jesus can cleanse your sins. Only Jesus can forgive you. You believe he is the son of God and the only way to heaven. See, you confess your sin to him, not to man. You begin to tell him, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I want to be saved. I want to be born again. That's what you said. You said, I have to be born again, so I want to be born again. You confess him, and then you confess him as Lord over your life. And if you'll do that in your heart, and only you know that with sincerity, today you will be saved and you will be born again. While she's doing that and praying that prayer right there, we're going to just give some altar time. And if you're here, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Come now. If you're just like, man, I need to do some repentance. Remember, we say repentance is for everybody. Come on. It says, I need to repent. I see it, Pastor. I, there's some things that I saw this morning through the scripture, some things the Lord spoke. I need repentance. Come on, church, let's go. Let's pray. If that's you, remember, appeal to the mercy of God. Come on, let's appeal to his mercy. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you did, make sure you like and share on social media to help spread God's word. If you would like to learn more about the bridge or if you'd like to give, you can go to our website at thebridge129.org. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.